Good morning. My name, my name is Mark Dodge, for those of you who may not know me. Uh, and I get the honor of reading uh, the scriptures this morning. So this morning's reading is going to be from Matthew uh, 15, be verses 1 through 3 and 10 through 20. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard that? He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of this scripture. Thank you, Mark Dodge. You hear me? We're there. We're there. Hello? All right. Let's try that again. How are you? You good? Good to see you. You know, I, uh, it means a lot. Every Sunday when I look around the room and see who's here, and I have a sense of some of the things that are going on in your life, um, and the fact that you make it on a Sunday morning means a lot. Thank you for being here, for real. Can I pray for us? Yeah? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Man, we just recognize right now you're here. Your spirit is with us. You're not somewhere else, but you're here. You were here before we showed up. And so I just pray right now you help us to uh, to just rest in that truth. I pray you begin to drop our defenses, our guards, so that we might hear something from you, be encouraged, be challenged, be changed. That's what we want, to be a bit more alive than we were when we got here. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you are planning on joining me for the prayer walk today, and you are not wearing closed-toed shoes, you can't come, okay? I'm just kidding. You can, but there's lots of poison ivy, all right? And you might get a little itchy, all right? We, we cleared a path, Jay and I. I saw you, Jay. We cleared a path yesterday, so we did, a, did the best that we could, but uh, there are a good bit of briars still, and there's some, some poison ivy. So if you're wearing sandals and shorts, you might want to rethink your decision, okay? We got several of these going, and eventually we'll have some resources available for you even doing on your own, so you don't have to wait around for us. But I got out there. I got out there yesterday. Jay and I both did. It was the first time I really got way back up in it. I went to the back half of the land. It's gorgeous, y'all. I mean, it is beautiful property. Uh, I think you know, even uh, just getting introduced to it, you might want to spend some time out there praying, praying anyway. It'll just be really good for you as a person, right? You with me? You dig? All right. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called Cardio. Now, our word cardio in the English comes from the Greek word cardia, which means heart. 
In our vernacular, cardio is short for cardiovascular. Right? And typically it refers to a sort of exercise, an aerobic activity. So for an object lesson, I need everybody out of their seats. We're going outside. We're going to go for a little jog around the park, right? Yeah, just kidding. Just kidding. But cardio is a sort of exercise that increases your heart rate for a sustained period of time in order to strengthen it. We forget that our heart's actually a muscle, right? And so what resistance training is for your biceps and for your gluteus maximus, cardio is for your heart. It's sort of like resistance training for your heart. You exercise it, and that helps get your heart stronger. Now, when the scriptures talk about our hearts, they aren't referring to the organ in our chest. The heart that the scriptures speak of is, isn't something you can necessarily see or touch, but it's definitely there. Right? The heart that the scriptures speak of is sort of like our command center. You know, the book of Proverbs says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It's that place that we really live from. It's the deepest part of who we are. The Greeks called it the pneuma, or the spirit. And you can see some of that in the New Testament, but they're really talking about the same thing. In the Old Testament, you hear a lot more talk about the heart. Like in the book of Proverbs, it talks a lot about the heart. It shows up 75 times in the book of Proverbs. In the New Testament, you'll still hear some of that, but you'll also hear talk about the spirit. It's kind of like two different ways of talking about the same thing. It's sort of the deepest part of who we are. I like to think of it like this. This might get a little weird in here, okay? It's one of those moments I'm kind of letting you in to how this works. I can't promise how this is going to go. Some of you will get it. Some of you will be like, that was just weird. But I like to think of the heart or the spirit. It's like the you that's aware of you. So there's like the you that's having the experience that is your life, okay? But then there's the you that's aware of the you that's having the experience of your life. Maybe this will help. It's like uh, the other day I was driving in the car listening to some, some music from, from back during like our first year of marriage. It's Mumford & Sons, Sigh No More. Remember that album? It's like their first album that kind of blew up. And, got, and that music to me, not only do I love the way it sounds, but it's like tied to some really great memories and moments. And so I'm listening to it. I'm that guy when I'm like hearing a song that I love in the car. I don't care. People can see me. You know, windows are down. I'm singing. I'm just like into it, right? And, and so there's, there's the me that's like into that experience. I'm hearing the music, I like the way that it sounds, all the memories that are coming up. There's like that me, but then there's the me that's aware of that me. Who's kind of considering the fact that, man, we live in a world that has something like music. And sort of admiring the way it can make you feel. See, that part of you, that's your heart, that's your spirit. Here's an easier example. Let's say somebody comes to you and says, hey, do you want to go get some crumble cookie? Dylan, what would you say to that? Yes. Right? Somebody comes and says, hey, we should go get some crumble cookie. You think about this experience, all right? You'll, you'll get what I'm talking about. There's sort of the body of you, where your appetites come from, who thinks what? Mmm. Mmm. No. My appetite says yum, yum. Like, yeah. That sounds good. My mouth might even start watering, right? I, that sounds good. I like the way sugar tastes. But then there's the mind who comes in and goes, eh, is that a good decision? Is that something I need to have? You know, trying to watch my figure. And then if you pay attention, there's like a third part of you that sort of observes these two things, talking it out, and then is going to make the decision, which one are we going to listen to? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's the you that's aware of you. That's your heart. That's your spirit. You know, maybe you're here and you kind of live in the world of science, you know, neuroscience. Maybe you think about it like this. There's like your amygdala, your fight or flight. There's your frontal lobe. 
your processor, but then there's your consciousness, your conscious will. It's you. It's the you that's aware of you. That's your heart. That's the deepest part of who you are. And spirituality is all about taking care and paying attention to that part of us. See, that's the part that God communes with. That's the part of us that God wants us to entrust to God. I love how it says it in Romans chapter 8. It says the Spirit of God testifies to our spirit to convince us that we are God's children. I love that picture. It's almost like the Spirit of God preaching to our spirit to convince us in that place. Hey, you're really loved by God. Period. You're loved by God. And so what spirituality is, at a, you know, the simplest definition is about learning to kind of live in step with that. Open yourself up to it. Be intentional about it. Take care of that part of us. To nurture it. Now, I have felt so led to have us focus on our inner life. On our hearts. You might call this spiritual formation. Right? I felt so led to get us to really zero. I want us to be spiritually formed people. Now, I love the fact that we're a very socially conscious church. That's one of the things I hear a lot. I mean, somebody just came for the first time last week. I don't know if you're in the room or not, but you said to somebody, I love the fact that, like, this church doesn't just talk about it, they actually do it. Right? That we're out in the community, that we're, you know, we, we care about seeing things change in the world around us. I love that. But understand something. If we also, we don't do the work and allow God to change the world in here, we're just going to make a new sort of mess out there. When unhealthy people try to set out to change the world, they usually just make a bigger mess of it. Are you with me? And so, sure, I love the fact that we're socially conscious, but, man, I also want us to be spiritually formed people because some of the most socially conscious people can have some of the most dysfunctional personal lives. You care about serving the poor and the marginalized, but your inner life and most important relationships can be really dysfunctional. The good news is our faith speaks to all of that. It's holistic, right? And it can help us with both of those things. In the Heart of the Matter series that we did, we, we talked about some of the things that can get stuck in our hearts. Remember that? Anger, envy, greed, right? Uh, guilt. Some of the stuff that can get stuck in our hearts. In this series, I want to be a bit more proactive. I want to talk about some exercises or spiritual practices that can help strengthen our hearts so that we can really live from the inside out. Are you with me? That's where we're going, right? And so what I want to do is I want to begin by, by digging into this passage from Matthew chapter 15. I, hit it, I hinted at it a bit in the last series, but I want to like really unpack it. So Jesus has just gotten into town, and he's doing his thing. He's mainly healing people, right? He's teaching. And some Pharisees and some teachers of the law, they show up and they bring a complaint to Jesus about his disciples, about his students. And we're told that they're from Jerusalem, which means they're kind of a big deal. Whoever these people are, they've got some pull, they've got some authority. And they pull Jesus aside and they say, hey, listen, why do your disciples, why do your students, why do they break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat, which everybody says, ew. What's this all about, right? Well, tradition of the elders was this collection of these sort of fence rules. And that might sound weird, but... It, it's, it's way more familiar than you think it is. Like, it's like when we get mad at our kids for saying words like darn or shoot. You know what I'm talking about? Those are like fence words, right? If, they say, if, we, if we get on them about saying those words, then more than likely they're not going to say the words that they actually stand for. 
Are you with me? It's like a fence rule, right? So the tradition of the elders served as this sort of fence rule for the people of Israel. Remember, central to their identity, the people of Israel, they were giving the, the Torah, the commandments from God, the Ten Commandments, the civil law, how they were supposed to live together. This is what set them apart and made them unique, is that God gave them very specific instructions on how they were to live so that they could model a new sort of way of being human to the world. So that law, that teaching, that Torah was central to their identity. And what the tradition of the elders was, it was this sort of fence rules that they put around the most important things in order to keep the people from breaking, breaking them. Right? So, for instance, one of the most you know, known Ten Commandments is don't work on the Sabbath. Right? No work on the Sabbath. It's meant to be a day of rest. That's the big rule. The tradition of the elders, they put a fence rule around that and said, well, you know what? We're going to make it so you can't even carry money on the Sabbath. Because the idea is if you're not carrying money on the Sabbath, you're probably not going to do any work or do any business. Does that make sense? So it's a sort of fence law around the big rules, the big law. Now, the Torah had a lot to say about what the people of Israel could and couldn't eat. Right? There's a lot of dietary laws. And so the tradition of the elders did, they put a fence around that with these rules about how you had to wash your hands before you ate. And so that's what they're bringing up to Jesus. They're basically saying your disciples, your students, they aren't washing their hands the right way. I mean, y'all get into some of this. There's so much debate, like how far up your arm do you have to go? Right? Like, how long do you scrub? I mean, there was all of these details that kind of got packed on, you know, over time. Religious people love to split hairs, don't they? You know, Jesus, not so much. If you read through the Gospels, he, he was not a big fan of the tradition of the elders. He gets in trouble all the time because of this stuff. You know, the thing about the tradition of the elders is that it was never written down. It was what you call an oral tradition. It was sort of passed down by word of mouth and only to certain people, <laughs> only to certain religious leaders who were like in the know, right? They would receive the tradition of the elders. And of course, they claimed that God gave it to the leaders at the same time he gave them the Ten Commandments, but he told us not to write it down, right? He said, don't write this down. You're just gonna pass. That's convenient, isn't it? Because it's like, man, if you have, a, you have like a problem with something, and you want to ask a question about it, like, are you really sure God, you, you couldn't question it. You have to just trust me because I was entrusted with secret knowledge, right? And you have to do what I say because dis, to disobey me is to disobey God, right? And of course, you know, over the years it got more and more complicated and it was used to control people and sort of keep them stuck, right? And to Jesus, it was just an exercise in missing the point. He calls the crowd to him. He says, come here, come here, come here, come here. He says, listen, he says, what goes into somebody's mouth, that's not what defiles them. Or that, what does that mean? It makes them unclean. It like makes them, puts them at odds with God, right? He's like, that's not what defiles you. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. That's what defiles somebody. Now, I love this. This is funny. This is funny to me for all sorts of reasons. Because Jesus doesn't explain it any further than that. He says this very controversial thing that could be interpreted in all sorts of different ways. What do you mean comes out of me, right? It's not what you put in your mouth, that co it's what comes. And he just leaves. He doesn't explain it any further. I mean, you, you could take that in all sorts of different ways. He's talking about going to the bathroom? What's, what's he talking about here, right? He just leaves. He just goes. He drops his bomb, and he leaves. I think that's funny. 
And of course, the, the, the disciples a little bit later are like, Jesus, you do realize that you just you kind of ticked them off. You offended them, right? You do realize that. And Jesus says back to him, well, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted, we pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Essentially what he's saying is, listen, all of their rules and traditions, all of their extra, that's not from God. That's not from God. And of course, Peter, he still doesn't get it. Don't you love Peter? He's like, well, can you just explain it to us? We're just, we're not tracking with you, you know? Explain it to us. And so verse 16, Jesus begins by asking them, are you still so dull? I love that. Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, and theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. Right? And he goes on to list all of these behaviors. And notice, all of these behaviors that he describes are really about behaviors that are directed towards other people. Right? Theft, slander. You do that towards another person. The disciples have been like, wait, wait, wait. We're talking about God. We're talking about us and God. What defiles us between us and God. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Right? What gets you in trouble with God it's how you treat other people. This is classic Jesus, y'all. This is classic Jesus. Over and over again, what he does is he blurs the line between our life with God and our life with other people. He really only had like two sermons. This is one of them. He hammers his point over and over and over again. He's like, this whole thing between you and God, it's got to spill over into your life with other people. He just hits it over. He hits it, hits it home over and over and over again. But we also see here Jesus' understanding of the whole point of the law. It wasn't given to please God. It was given to protect people. This is why Jesus dismisses the religious leaders, because they're blind guys. They're missing the point. They're using the law to control and to squash people. Something that was intended to sort of liberate them, to help them to be, to be more human, to live a more beautiful life, is getting used to squash them and to keep them small. Let me just tell you right now. If it's of Jesus, if it's of God, it's going to leave you feeling more alive, not less. You hear me? It's going to leave you feeling more alive, not less. Now, that does not mean it isn't going to challenge you and mess you up. It will mess you up. I'm telling you, Spirit of God starts working in your life, it's going to mess you up. It is. But it's not going to squish you. It's not going to put your fire out. It's going to challenge you to want more for yourself and to believe more about what's possible in your life and the world around us. That's how you know it's of God. I love in the Emmaus passage, you know, we're named after the Emmaus passage in Luke. These two disciples are walking with Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus, right? He's kind of undercover, right? And he's talking to him and he's teaching all these things. But a little bit later when they find out it was Jesus, I love what they say. They say, did not our hearts burn within us? Man, listen, if it's of God, it's going to make you more alive, not less. And we religious people get in the way of that all the stinking time. But I really want to zero in on what he says in verse 17 and 18. I'm going to read it to you one more time. Jesus says this. He says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these are the things that defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person thing you got to pay attention to 
isn't the tradition of the elders. It's your heart. Your heart. That's what you got to pay attention to. Jesus says stuff like this all over the place in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 6, he says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, but each tree is recognized by its own fruit. He says, People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars, but a good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their what? Heart. And an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. Over and over again, we find Jesus calling us to pay attention to our hearts. Because it's only a matter of time before whatever's in here is going to show up in our life out there. It's only a matter of time. Right? Whatever's in here is eventually going to show up in our lives out there. I know we talked about this a lot in the last series, but we got to drive it home. Because in my experience, in my own life and other people, as soon as like something comes out of us that we don't like, often what we start doing is looking to all the external things. right, For an excuse. Or for a reason, it's because of them or it's because of that. That's why that thing came out of me. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Don't start there. Start with your heart. It came out of you because it was in there to begin with. This might help. I'm stealing this illustration from another pastor, but it worked really well. Some of you have been wondering, why has he got a jar of peanut butter M&Ms up on here? I'm going to tell you why. Y'all like peanut butter M&Ms? You ever put them in the fridge? Ooh, they're so good. They like explode in your mouth. Right? If I were to take this jar and I were to shake it, you want me to shake it? I'm going to shake it. You're in the front row, I might get you a couple M&Ms. But if I were to shake this, they spill out, right? They spill out. Peanut butter M&Ms got a 20-second rule, okay? Got the thin candy shell. It's okay. But listen, me shaking this jar did not determine what came out of it. It didn't. Me shaking this jar revealed what was already in there to begin with. Are you tracking with me? It didn't. Me shaking this didn't determine what was in there. It was already in there. Me shaking it showed you what was already in there. You're going to get shaken in life. You know that? You're going to get disappointed and frustrated. People are going to hurt your feelings, make you mad. What comes out of you in that moment is not their fault. They're revealing what was already in there to begin with. It reminds me of something C.S. Lewis said one time. He said, who we are when we get interrupted is who we really are. Ouch. Isn't that the truth? Who we are when we get disappointed, when we get hurt. Who we are when we get frustrated and impatient. Guess where that stuff's coming from, y'all? Stop looking out there right away. It came out of you because it was in, I'm not saying there aren't annoying people and frustrating situations, but man, I think there's so much wisdom there. Who we are when we get interrupted is who we really are. And so all throughout the scriptures, we find this call, maybe even a warning to be aware of what is going on in here, right? Because the ones who come before us know that there are certain things going on in here that we would rather avoid. Am I right? And, you know, it's never been easier to avoid it, has it? It's never been easier just to distract ourselves, to numb ourselves, to just sort of stay on the surface of our lives. I love something Ronald Rollheiser wrote. He wrote this in 1999, so keep in mind, some of this has sort of changed, but it's still true. I love what he says. He says, today a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together 
and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate in which it is not only difficult to think about God or to pray, but to simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, or spirit. We would like to have these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. And I love this part. He says, we are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, sports stadium, and shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in our spiritual lives. Whew. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Isn't that the truth? The first exercise I want to suggest is the regular habit of checking in on your heart. You know, committing to what is sometimes referred to as contemplative sort of spirituality. To become more contemplative people. To be comp- contemplative is somebody who's paying attention. Somebody who's concerned, not with just a bunch of head knowledge. I get so tired of people talking, about, it's just about defending the Bible and knowing what you believe. No, it's not. It's about being aware of the presence of God in your life. It's about encounter and experience. It's about being more aware of who you are. That's what contemplation is about. It's about being more spiritually alert and paying attention to the presence of God and to the awareness of our own selves. It's about staying tuned into our hearts. This is a sort of spirituality and a practice that calls us to slow down, get quiet, and stay curious. That's what I want to talk a bit about before I turn you loose. I want to talk about slowing down. Y'all say slow down. I want to talk about getting quiet. Y'all say getting quiet. Staying curious. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Slowing down. Man, we're such a hurried people. Aren't we? Such a hurried people. I came across this line from Mary Oliver poem. And it just stopped me and I tracked it. I just want to put it up. I want you to read it to yourself a couple times before I read it. Just read, read that. Read it. Listen, are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? Man, that lands, doesn't it? It just lands. Why? Because it's telling the truth, isn't it? What are we doing, y'all? I mean, we're so busy. So busy. Why? And then we justify, well, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing this. That doesn't mean it's... Doesn't mean it's healthy. Are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? You know it's not. You know it's not a life. It's not. We're such a hurried people. One of my favorite things about Jesus, read through the Gospels, you know what? He's never rushed. He's never in a hurry. In fact, one of my favorite thinkers is a guy named Dallas Willard. Brilliant. Taught philosophy at Cal Berkeley. Like, follower of Jesus. He wrote so much about spiritual formation. He's just brilliant. He's, he's, he's gone now. But I remember, like, later, later, late on in his life, somebody asked him. He's at this big conference. And it's fun to kind of, like, quiz really smart people, you know. And they're like, all right, describe Jesus in one word. Like, sum him up in one word. How would you describe him? I love his answer. You know what he said? Relaxed. Hmm. Relaxed. He's never in a hurry. He's so present to the moment. He's so present to the people in his lives. 
you know, it's like most of his teachings, they call us to consider normal everything, everyday things that we typically don't notice because we're moving too fast. Birds, flowers, a woman sweeping out our house. Because Jesus knew that these sort of everyday things were these sort of portals. They were like these opportunities for us to actually connect with God and come back to ourselves. Everyday moments happening all the time. But noticing them requires us to slow down. You ever like walked through a place you normally drive through? You ever like what, move your neighborhood? You, know, you drive through it all the time. You ever like went for a walk? You notice a whole lot more when you're walking, don't you? Little details about somebody's house, what they have planted in their yard, or whatever it is. You, just, you notice more, right, when you're walking, when you're moving slower. we got to slow our pace. I think this is one of the reasons why we're so disconnected from our hearts. We're moving too fast. And some of you are like, yep, I know, that's the point. We like the hurry because it distracts us, doesn't it? It distracts us from the mess of our lives. But the reality is just because you're avoiding it doesn't mean it isn't getting the best of you. And hear me, you can live a hurried life and be happy. You can. You can live a hurried life and even be successful as long as you define success in a really shallow way. You can live a hurried life and make a bunch of money and get a bunch of stuff and all that. You can, but you'll lack depth. You'll lack depth, which is what we really want, isn't it? You know, hurry and depth, they're not compatible. They're not. I'll tell you right now, hurry's not compatible with love either. It isn't. Some of my worst moments as a human, as a pastor, as a friend, as a parent, as a spouse, have been when I'm in a hurry. Because you tend to treat the people and the things that matter most to you like they're an inconvenience, don't you, when you're in a hurry. we got to slow down, y'all. we got to slow down. Of course, this will require us to evaluate our calendar, yeah. But I think more than that, I want to talk about committing to a sort of internal slowness. It reminds me of what the book of James talks about when it says everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow down. It's an internal slowness that is not quick to jump to conclusions or rush to judgment, that is willing to take a step back, especially when we feel ourselves getting hyped. You know what I'm talking about? What is it in the recovery community? Halt. You know what I'm talking about? Halt. Whenever you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, take a time out because you're about to make a destructive decision. Am I right? Or even like the four things we talked about in the last series, anger, envy, right, guilt, when we feel ourselves feeling something big and strong, to take a second, like Zach Morris and Saved by the Bell. Remember? Time out. Time out. And to become aware of this, right? To move at a pace where, we're not, where we don't just think about our thoughts and feel our feelings, but we're moving at a pace where we can think about our thoughts and think about our feelings. Are you moving that slow? What's your pace? What's your pace like? we got to move slower. But we also got to... Get quiet. St. John of the Cross was a Spanish mystic. He lived in the 1500s. Brilliant guy. I love what he said. He said, silence is the first language of God. In the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has this habit of going away to what the author calls a lonely place. The Greek word is the word ramos, and it can mean wilderness, desert, but it's a place without stimulation. Nine times in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus does this. He goes away to a lonely place. And if you sort of chart it out, the frequency of it, like as things got more busy for him, 
as he was in more demand, as he became more influential, he did this more often. He got away to a lonely place, to a quiet place, to process things with God. Remember that thing in the early 2000s? I think we called it boredom. Remember that? Like, you know, 2007 before the iPhone came out, right? Remember, like, boredom? Like, you'd be at the doctor's office and have to wait, you know, until it was your turn. You felt that form for the 15th time, right? And then you'd have to just kind of be there. You'd go look at the fish in the aquarium and maybe look at some magazines. But you had to kind of just sit. You had to sit there. You couldn't pull out a phone and look at it. You had to sit there. Really, you'd like to be standing in line, like, wait, waiting to get your coffee or whatever. And you couldn't pull out your phone and check your Instagram or you couldn't write emails and get work done. You just had to stand there. And maybe even talk to somebody. You're boredom. You know, and all these moments were chances for us to actually co- connect with God and come back to ourselves. And now, my gosh, it's just noise, 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 all the time. And we lack depth. We got to get quiet. I mean, central to a healthy heart is making time for silence and solitude. I'm not talking about me time either. It needs more me time. I just want to sit and read a book. Listen to a podcast. That's great. That's beautiful. I'm talking about nothing. No stim. Listen. Being quiet. Putting it all away. Some of us are so tuned into stuff right now that only appeals to our outrage and anger. You know, things that we just listen to that makes it easy for us to blame this whole group of people or demographic for all the problems in the world. Turn it off. It's making you less human. We need silence. More than, God, we need it. If you aren't taking time to be quiet, man, Henry Nouwen said that silence and solitude are the furnace of our transformation. Whew. He went on to say this. I'm quoting a lot of smart people today, so just enjoy it. He said, without solitude, we remain victims of our society. So easy to manipulate. We continue to be entangled in the illusion of the false self. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. We struggle against the great compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. Y'all, when we're quiet, it's when the truth comes up. The truth about who we really are. And it's also where we can encounter God if we stay there long enough. We can allow God to speak to us in that place. Are you making time to get quiet? To be silent. We got to be quiet. We got to slow down and we got to stay curious. Stay curious. The heart is a complicated thing, isn't it? Like I said, the book of Proverbs talks about the heart a lot, 75 times. At the same time, the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. How do you be a wise person? But it talks about the heart 75 times, which means that wisdom isn't about navigating the world out there. It's first and foremost about navigating the world in here, being curious about your heart. I love this observation from Proverbs 14. It says that even in laughter the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. It's this powerful observation about how two, we can be feeling multitude of things at the same time. Isn't that true? How many of y'all got a kid graduating this year from high school? How's that feel? You happy about it? You sad about it? Yep. All of that, right? It's this beautiful observation about how complex our hearts can be, about how we can feel all these sort of things at the same time. And in chapter 20, I love what it says. It says that a person, it refers to the heart as deep waters. And a person of wisdom is able to draw out meaning and insight. we got to stay curious about our hearts. 
See, a person of wisdom doesn't just think their thoughts and feel their feelings. They make time to think about their thoughts and think about their feelings. This is what the book of Proverbs calls prudence. It's a sort of curiosity that recognizes there's way more going on than what's obvious, right? And so for me, one of the most core spiritual practices is journaling. Journal, some of you are like, journaling, sounds weird. Every single influential person has one thing in common. I guarantee you, they journal. They write about it. They write about their life. Flannery O'Connor, or she, O'Connell was an author, and she said this. I love it. I write because I don't know what I think until I read what I say. <laughs> That's the truth. I resonate with that, right? I like to write every day. I don't. I like it better when I do. But it's a way for me to get what's up here and in here out on some paper so I can observe it. So I can actually see it, and I can think about it, and I can consider it. And here's, this is deep too. You can, you can handle this, so I, I believe in you, okay? Just hang with me here. Carl Jung, you all heard of him? Philosopher, psychiatrist, lived in the early 1900s. Man, I've been sitting with this for weeks. Here's what he said. He said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Ugh. Let's say it one more time. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you'll call it fate. What does that mean? There's all these patterns of thinking we have and stories we tell ourselves, right, in our heads. Y'all got voices in your head, don't you, right? And often they're like wallpaper. They're sort of there, but they're in the background. We're not necessarily aware of them, but they're driving how we live. And more than that, they influence how we react to the things that come our way. Right? And until we become conscious of these voices, they really do control so much of our lives. And then we act like we're victims. Like it's just, just how life goes. This sort of thing always happens to me. Right? But when we become conscious of these voices, we bring them to light, then we're able to sort of wrestle with them a bit and deal with them. I'll pull all this together because this is, this is real for me. This has sort of happened. You know, planning a church is something I always wanted like, to do since I was 19. I always wanted to do it. I've never felt qualified. All right? I've always felt in over my head. Okay, this is, this is a big, big thing, scary thing, especially when it c- came time to, you know, the, the, the home campaign, building our own space. I've never done that before. You know, it's, it's big and it's scary, and there are all these moments where I felt really inadequate and over my head and didn't know what to do. Right? I remember our first board meetings where we were talking about how, where do we even start, and they're kind of clunky, kind of messy because none of us have done this right. What I became aware of, though, is there's this critic in my head. You know, I would walk out of the situation where I felt inadequate, and man, this critic would just, so you are not who everybody thinks you are. What do you call it, imposter syndrome? You know, a better leader would have this figured out by now. A better leader would already know what to do. If you really w- w- were the person everybody thought you were, then we wouldn't know what to do right now. You, you, you can relate to that? You know, it's sort of there. I believe this voice has always been there for me, but man, as I was writing about sort of my experience and just journaling, just talking about what happened, you know, yesterday at the meeting and I'm writing it, I, get, I can actually see it. Like, wow, that's critical, right? Jumping on me about not knowing what to do and how I should know better. I should have this all figured out, right? So I become aware of it and then I start processing it with my therapist, which is another great spiritual practice. I'm kind of telling him about this sort of critic that I'm noticing that always comes up. I love what he said. He said to me, you can't mistake ignorance for stupidity. Basically what he's saying is like, you can't mistake a lack of knowledge or information for, you know, a lack of intelligence. Of course you don't know what you're doing. You've never done it before. Right? And so, man, it just, he's like, change the tone of that voice. That's what you do. 
You get into this moment and you're like, man, you don't know what to do. Just change the voice of it. Uh, uh, you don't know what to do. Huh. We got some stuff to learn. Do you feel the difference? A different energy from both of those voices, right? It's sort of insight. It all came from like a, a regular practice of paying attention to my heart. Because that voice is in my subconscious. And it was controlling. Man, back in the day, if I'd come out of an experience like that, I'd be spinning my wheels for weeks. Feeling like a fraud. Feeling like an imposter. Now, meh. It pops up. I recognize it. Wrestle with it. And we keep moving. And man, I've been so much better off. And so until a voice like that, we become conscious of it, it subconsciously controls us. In one or two ways. Either we wallow in it, right, and we let it beat us up. Or we puff up and we posture like we know it all, and we don't learn anything, right? But a healthy sort of posture is like, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. I got a whole lot to learn, and we're going to figure it out as we go. But this, this is an example, I think, of how a spiritual practice, an intentional practice of paying attention to our hearts, of slowing down, of getting quiet and staying curious can actually show up in some really beautiful ways in our life. Y'all, I want this for us so bad. I heard it said, superficiality is the curse of our age. Isn't that the truth? Everybody's just shallow and living on the surface of things. I want us to be deep people who know ourselves and who are connected to God. So I'm going to leave you with a challenge for the week. Every week, we're going to get a challenge. You're going to get things to do because it's about exercises and practices, things that we do. So here's the three-by-three challenge. Us pastors love threes, you know. Three-by-three challenge every day. Every day, here's what I want you to do. For this week, you can do anything for a week, all right? I want you to spend your first three minutes in intentional silence of your day. Don't reach for your phone. Don't, unless you've got to turn off your alarm, okay? I get it. Don't pick up your phone right away. I mean, you might have to go make your coffee because I'm not a human being until I have my coffee. But, man, 90 seconds, three, three minutes. That's not, how many minutes, how many is, that's way off. I'm sorry, Nate. That sounded nice. Three minutes. Three minutes. What is that? That's 180. Where's Rowan? He was just here. Oh, he's good. He would have so called me out on that. Three minutes of silence and be intentional with it. You're like, what do I think about? Start with your breathing. Just breathe. Breathe. And pay attention to your breathing. And yes, things are going to pop in your head. Let them. Don't get critical and judgy of it. Just let them. And then return to your breathing. Just breathe. That's one of the best ways to pray, y'all. As you exhale, what do you got to let go of? What fear, what anxiety, what frustration, what do you need to breathe out? Just breathe it out. And what do you need to receive? Breathe it in. And just pay attention to your breath. Three minutes. You can do that, right? Every day this week. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to carve out three moments in your week for intentional solitude. By yourself. Just you. You and God. Now, as long as you want. Go for a walk. Don't take your phone with you. Leave it at the house. Maybe when you're driving home from work, don't turn on the radio. Just be quiet and be alone and try to turn your attention to God, the presence of God in your life. And just be there. Just be there. Three times this week, okay? And the last thing I want you to do is at least one time this week, I want you to journal, okay? I want you to journal. Listen, you're not writing for anybody else's eyes. It's just you. So it doesn't have to make sense, okay? Just write. Write about what's happened this week. Write about how you think and feel, what you think and feel about it. Just get it on paper. Something I like to use, I use three questions a lot to kind of help frame my journaling time. I write, what am I grateful for? What's a new gift I'm aware of? What am I anxious about right now? What's keeping me up at night? What's got me spinning my wheels? Right? And what am I learning? I try to write about that every day if I can. Right? But what it does is it helps you become aware of your life.
do that one time this week. All right, and then see what happens. I'd love for this to become a regular habit, but I don't want you thinking about the rest of your life right now because that's overwhelming and you won't do it. Think about this week. Just do it this week, all right? First three minutes of your day in silence and solitude. Just breathe, okay? Three times this week, be by yourself, okay? Not me time where you're reading a book or something. No, just alone with no stimuli, all right? And then one time this week, write about your life. Just journal and see what happens. All right, I want this for us so bad. I think it's going to be a good series. You agree? Can I pray for us? And I'll send you out. Uh, God, we don't want to be barely breathing and calling it a life. And just because it's normal doesn't mean it isn't insane. And the world so badly needs a non-reactive presence. It needs a group of people who aren't just being pushed around by all the crazy voices out there right now. It needs to see a group of people who are grounded in the reality of you and your vision for the world, your vision for what it means to be human. We're taking our cues from you. We need to be that. And so I, I pray that you create a sense of urgency us around this, that it's not just about us becoming more you know, self-aware. That's great. That's wonderful. But it's about how we're also turned into a, a community of people who can model something different, something better for the world. And so I, I pray that you stir up a sense of urgency in us when it comes to us and our hearts and our relationship with you and with ourselves. Help us just to start here with these three simple action steps. Help us to start here. And Lord, I pray that you speak to us in the midst of it. I pray that there's some really great fruit that comes out of this. We're going to trust you to do that. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, there's peanut butter M&Ms up here on the floor if you want some. Some of them are smashed. We're going to get in trouble for that. But hey, I'll see you in the prayer walk if you're coming. Remember, shoes and pants. Grace and peace. Love you. See you next week.